This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 605 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by ProStride. On tonight's show, we are joined by FEI veterinarian Dr. Richard Mitchell, as well as Wendy Murdoch. After that, we have Liz Misaglia for our amateur spotlight. And then Reese and I have some tips for being resilient. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Loxahatchee, Florida. And this is Philip Barks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm doing all right. Still kind of cold. We got lots of uh, snow going on, but uh, we're doing good. You know, I think I think spring is just around the corner. That's what the groundhog said. So <laughs> I thought it was six more weeks that. of winter. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and we feel for for anybody that's in Texas listening, we are feeling for you guys right now. Like we just got reports that it's. Very, very cold there and snow, and we're, we are really thinking about you because it doesn't sound pleasant at all. So, I think it's okay that you know when we're kind of prepared for it, we're used to it right. every year. But if anyone <laughs> yeah. else is, is experiencing these, you know, cold temperatures and snow, and I, yeah, I, I really, yeah. really feel for you. And uh, yeah, hopefully well, everybody's okay and the horse and their horses are okay too. Yeah, everybody's warm and bundled up and and doing okay. And we're we're thinking about you guys. Yeah. You know me. You know me. I'm not into winter. So <laughs> Phil, Phil gets That's cranky, but he's like, and yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't, uh, as soon as it gets cold, I'm like, I'm uh, no. But anyways, oh, we're really thinking about you guys, but we're going to have a good show tonight to kind of bring some entertainment to what you've got going on. And yeah, it's, uh, we want to just give everybody a reminder of our book club book of the month, or it may be a, a couple weeks. It's how two minds meet. The Mental Dynamics of Dressage by Beth Baumert. And don't forget, you can get this book at horseandriderbooks.com. It's a fantastic read. I've been reading it and uh, experiencing it myself right now and uh, really enjoying it. So don't forget our book club of the month book if you're looking for something to do. And yeah. That's well, kind of what's well, going on. Well, maybe people are waiting to to hear about your update. We were talking last week about you, you know, entering a show and and going to it. So maybe you can tell us wh- how how it how it all went. You got it. So um, yeah, it was it was quite a week last week. So I, I you know, I, I I'm not. I'm actually Phil can tell you. I'm actually fairly private about what what happens in the beginning. I don't like to sort of come out hot. I like to come in a little cold and then and but. It was my first CDI on my fairly new horse, Bingo, and uh, he's owned by my longtime business partner, Kiki Cortellis, and myself. And we got this horse in May, sort of during lockdown, which was some challenges when you get get a horse. And he he flew over actually uh, before I had even met him, and I had seen a lot of videos of him. And it was it's just an amazing opportunity that I have been given. Uh, Bingo was already a Grand Prix horse. So I had the honor to just be able to, to 
And and I had a lot of time, obviously, during lockdown, which was really nice. So I would send videos to Phil. My sister, Lindsay Cassidy, came over quite often to help me with him and get to know him. And also my coach, Scott Hassler, was coming every three weeks. And I was sending videos back and forth. So we were really preparing for here in Wellington and to, to go into the CDI ring. And uh, kind of my story... I, I did the CDIs 11 years ago. I had a very, very good Grand Prix horse named Gubergs Casper. And so I was, it was busy on the CDI circuit with him. And then he retired. And, and it, it's taken me 11 years to sort of get back in the international ring. So I've been looking forward to it. It's been a goal of mine for a very long time uh, to get back in, in the big ring and, and to be a part of that. So I got to do that this past week with Bingo and and Bingo and I I really feel like our partnership is really kind of really starting to materialize which is so fun which is also why I'm reading uh, the mental dynamics of dressage that's a huge part of what we're doing and um, also one of the reasons we came down here in December we came early uh, to get ready because I knew you know, we it, you you don't just enter a CDI. You got to really take the steps and be really prepared. You you got to feel pretty good going down the center line. So uh, we sh- got ready in December. We showed in January, and Scott and I felt like it was sort of time to to go to the big ring. So we did. Um, and so I entered the three stars. So Phil and I talked about we wanted to talk a little bit about if you don't know sort of what happens with the CDI. There's there's some steps that you have to take. The, number one, your horse has to have an FEI passport. So there is some paperwork that has to happen. And uh, if you are thinking about entering a CDI, that paperwork takes a while. I'm, I'm very lucky because actually I live 10 minutes from the USCF office when I'm in Kentucky. So I can go to the office but at first, they weren't even accepting passports. Like, we couldn't take it to the office. So my my sweet husband had to, he was going to the post office, and he had to literally drive further to the post office to mail it back to the office. But because there's a lot of back and forth with the passport that happens. So Bingo already had a lot of signatures. A lot of signatures. A lot of, yeah. A lot of signatures. Yes. Vet work. Uh, it's it, it's a thing. He had a, he had a, a passport from the Netherlands, so it has to get transferred. So that's one thing. Is number one, your horse has to have passports. Also, the vaccinations have to be current. Uh, the flu vaccines they have to be given within a certain period of time. So you have to be ready for that. So with the passport, what happens when you go to the CDI is literally you offload your horse and walk right to the veterinary inspection. So you don't even go into the stabling. You have to be credentialed. So everybody on your team has to have a lanyard and wear their lanyard all the time. So you have to know who's on your team and who's going to the horse show. So that's another step you have to take. And so when you enter, you have to do all that. And then when you get to the competition, you literally offload and walk right to the veterinary inspection. And they look over the horses and make sure if there's anything funny, bingo had a little spot, like a little rub, you know, they, they inspect all that to make sure that the horses are good. And that is prior to the jog up to, to the jog. There's always a time that the jog starts and we signed up for our jog time. Phil can tell you, I I'm, I'm actually kind of lame. I, I don't, I don't run well anyways. And, and I have kind of a knee thing. So my coach jogged bingo and, and they, Scott and bingo looked great jogging. So Scott <laughs> jogged him for me, which was great. Cause it was, it's also, this was bingo's first ever CDI. So he had a lot to get used to too. So we we actually got to the horse show. I rode early, which was actually turned out to be good because I was in the stadium at one point 
you know, obviously within the regulations, but I was early. So I was in there by myself for a couple minutes, which was really nice. That doesn't yeah. always happen. Mm-hmm. Never so actually, yeah, yeah there's horses yeah, I got, flying all around, yeah, all around there's everywhere. Horses everywhere. Yeah. So it was really good that I got there early because I felt like I bingo and I got some visuals of what it was going to look like in the stadium. So that was great. And so then we took him back to the barn, gave him a bath, braided him. So they have to be braided for the jog up. Uh, the jog took 35 seconds in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. out. They just, just, just kind of walk a few strides and then trot mm-hmm. out and trot back. But it's, a, it's important to really make sure that you're good at jogging because the the veterinarians are inspecting for any kind of lameness so if you're if you're just kind of dogging it and and your horse is kind of dogging it they that could it could give the impression Mm -hmm. that the horse the horse is lame so i mean it's 35 seconds but it like you gotta go right all right you got a big horse you gotta go yeah you gotta You got to know how to jog without pulling on the horse's face and, and and that so it's kind of it's it's it's, 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 it's pretty important yeah. to it is uh, really important. Exactly. To have somebody, yeah, experienced, at, you know, at doing that doing or it. fast mm-hmm. enough at doing that or, you yeah, know, and I'm, no, I'm not fast enough. So, yeah, it's <laughs> probably important. It's an important thing. Because, it is. Uh, otherwise, you know, if if the 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 veterinarians see something that they don't like or whatever, you can be asked to, you know, jog again. On the next yes. day, you're not just and, entered in the show and, you know, whatever is going right, to happen. Right. You can't. Exactly. And if you don't pass, you don't show. I mean, it's, it's not like a, this is, you know, if you don't pass the veterinary inspection, you're, you're done game over, or if there's something that happens. So it's the first time the ground jury sees the horses. I will say that has gotten less formal from when I did it 11 years ago, especially right now, right there, there really are no spectators, then they're pretty strict on it. So I mean, I, I wore nice, I wore nice boots and britches and, and, you know, looked nice and clean for the jog, but used to be, we would dress up. Uh, it's not happening as much anymore. That's gotten a little less formal, uh, which is, I think, in, I think in Europe it's not formal at all. It's uh, not formal at all. I think you'll the, see, the, the yeah, grooms yeah, you'll see jog. the grooms jog the horses and whatever. Yeah. Just, I think it was kind of a, a, a nice North yeah. American thing, you know, where, where mm-hmm. you'd see the riders all, you know, done up. Just up. Bit. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no like spectators that. now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no spectators now. So anyways, that so that happens the day you check in. And then once that happens, the horses essentially go into lockdown. You have to be credentialed in and out. When you leave the stabling with the horse, that has to be recorded. You can't just take a horse out. There's certain times. You can go into the stabling at pretty much any hour, but you always have to sign in. And especially at night, you can't just walk in there. And, you know, there, there are nannies in there that are taking care of the horses at all times. Like they're they're very well cared for. Better, better all the time than any regular show. Um, yeah, so that, that happens. So you have to kind of get used to going in and out and you, there's only one way in right, basically. And all your equipment comes in and out of there. So that was, that was new for bingo. And I too, I've never had him at a horse show <laughs> overnight <laughs> and it was, he was there four nights. So that that's a challenge, especially here in Wellington, where Sarah, my, my wonderful assistant and I, you know, we kind of, you go here, I go here type thing. But I liked it because I got to spend quite a lot of time with Bingo myself. I, I was the the show team. So I got to spend a lot of time with him. And, you know, global right now is essentially there's fences where you have to get your temperature taken in and out. And they are doing a great job making everybody feel really good and safe at the horse show. You can't come in without getting a temperature. There's no way to come in that way. So 
again, I, you, there's usually two temperature checks by the time you get in. So I, I was very well temped, but that's, that's a good thing. The horses have to have their temperature taken every day. And there's a log uh, that the FEI stewards come and checks. And if you haven't taken the horse's temperature, they stand there and make you take the horse's temperature. So there's a lot of procedural things that happen. There's certain times that you can ride at global pretty much there's always stewards around because it's a pretty actually small location. And then the other thing that's interesting is it's a draw. So typically, because Bingo and I didn't have a record, I was in the first draw. So I was lucky number one the first time in the ring, <laughs> which you don't ever want to be the first one in. But I was, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> but when you don't yeah, have a you, record, you take, you take your lumps being the new guy, kind of. Yeah, thing, right? I'm the new guy, right? You kind of exactly like I'm the new guy, like so. I yeah, I got I drew I drew the first one in. Never the spot you want to be in, but somebody's got to be lucky number one. And my Grand Prix, I was really I. It, you know, again, it was nice. I had been in the stadium the day before, but to be in the stadium and, and with global on two sides, there are, there is a hospitality tent. So, and then this year there are no bleachers. Normally there are bleachers where people sit and that those are no longer there, but on two sides of the arena is on the long side and the short side. And there, there is still meals being served and people in the tent. So bingo got a little bit strong and a little bit nervous with that. By Saturday, I think he was tired and kind of over it, but he, the first day he definitely reacted to that because they weren't there the day before. And then in the CDI, you have five judges. So you got to be ready for that. There's a live stream camera. Got to be ready for that. There's a jumbotron. Uh, so a lot of things that are happening as you're riding, I can say as you're riding, you don't really notice that. And if you do notice it, you're not paying attention. I mean, by the time you get in, I, I like five judges. It doesn't bother me to have five. I think you actually arrive at your a better score when there are five judges. So that was pretty, pretty big. So my Grand Prix, I was actually really happy with him. I had made just uh, through the time I made some uh, little bobbles. Unfortunately, with five judges, they don't miss any of the bobbles. <laughs> so I was pleased with, I you was pleased with the Grand Prix. I have both tests, actually. I have a lot of work to do and cleaning up to do, but I think over the week, it was, it was very hot here, actually. I know nobody in the North wants to hear that, but when I did my Grand Prix special on Saturday, it was probably 93 and the humidity was incredibly high. So we have to work a little bit more on the fitness because, and, and working in that heat. So in the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to do a CDI in the beginning of March again. So, and, and a seven and a half minute special, let me tell you, it, it, it will test anybody's fitness. So he and I both need to work a little more on fitness. I think all Grand Prix horses can work on fitness and we need to work on getting even better because the later in the day is cooler. <laughs> so <laughs> we need to get in the, in the last draw spot. But I, it was a great week and it was just, it was such an honor to be there. And, and for me, it was, again, really emotional to sort of be back there. And, um, you know, it's nice now I've got my first one under my belt. I know how he's going to handle it. You know, we'll make some adjustments and keep getting better and better at not even missing little scores. Phil, I got a nine on my entry. <laughs> That's pretty darn so, good. That's the yeah. way you want to start, right? <laughs> you want to start with a nine. So that was good. So definitely some things we'll, we need to get better and better at, but it was a good week. And yeah, so once you finish, you can't, again, you can't just leave. It doesn't work like that. You have to check out. And so you have to go get your passport. And it, yeah, so it, it's just, it's a whole procedural thing that now I know exactly what to do. So I feel a little bit better about our next one, about all that. I think bingo is going to feel, feel good too, but it was really a fun time. It was, it was, we learned a lot and you know, that's what we're here doing. So 
yeah, I can't wait for my next one in the beginning of March. So that's kind of my report on on a CDI and what it what it's like. And there's also award ceremonies that that if you're in the top right now, it's the top three are present themselves. We were not in the top three. But with COVID, they're just doing three. Normally, the top eight will present. That's not happening right now. So there are some little things that are going on that that will change, hopefully, when the world returns to normal. But I think we're also happy to be showing and enjoying the experience. And like I said, Global's doing a great job putting on a safe show. So yeah, all good. Oh, I, I hope that's well, good we're, roundup. We're very proud of you here. That you had, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, a dressage radio show and you know more more success in the future yes yes well, well we have a couple more count going on and we we decided the next one's the five star and just so everybody knows these they, they're all live streamed so you can watch them for free if you google global dressage festival you'll find the live stream and um, the next cdi is in two weeks and uh that's a five star so it's a great that's thing a to do one. Yeah. yeah, to get together with your barn team and, and and watch it. So just just something, and then we'll go again in, in March. So really looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, Phil, we're going to have now a great interview with Dr. Rick Mitchell. Well, tonight, it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Rick Mitchell. He's an FEI veterinarian and a partner in Fairfield Equine Practice. He's board certified in sports medicine and rehabilitation. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. Great. Well, just to uh, start off this interview, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and about your practice and, and, and get us going. Okay. Well, uh, my practice uh, was originally based uh, in Connecticut in Fairfield County, thus the name of the practice now. Uh, I joined uh, my mentor, Dr. Howard Raven, there in 1976, uh, coming out of the Air Force Veterinary Corps. And I was fortunate enough to have known a little bit about the area of Fairfield County and knew the large number of uh, hunter, jumper, and dressage participants in that area of the country. And since I had, in fact, grown up in the hunter, jumper world, it was really my desire to make a career of uh, taking care of what we now call sport horses, but uh, that word wasn't used back in those days. And I have to say that uh, it led to the opportunity to take care of a large number of very, very high quality horses uh, and afforded me a connection with people that were uh, high caliber trainers and riders. And I ultimately uh, was uh, able to take care of some Olympic level horses. Uh, initially, uh, first time in 84, I had two horses that went to LA to the games and uh, they ended up winning gold medals. And as it turned out, I ultimately became a uh, team veterinarian. Uh, my first uh, experience actually at the Olympic games was in Barcelona. And then I had the opportunity after that to participate as team veterinarian in five more Olympic games uh, for the show jumping team and or the dressage team. So it was really um, a little bit of uh, great fortune to have actually gotten the job working for my mentor, Dr. Raven, uh, and it's led to a really satisfying career. So I, I think that's super interesting because uh, I kind of have always wondered what does a what does a Olympic team veterinarian do? You know, what's the job? What, what what's it entail? 
Well, it basically entails spending a lot of time watching the horses and listening to the riders and trying to put together with what the riders have to say and what you see in the horse's performance, uh, what's going on with the horse. And one of the things that I was able to do early on was develop uh, my own system of periodic evaluations of the horses rather than just responding reactively to a horse that was suddenly lame. We tried to develop a proactive program with these high caliber horses that we took a look at them every now and then, perhaps doing nothing to the horses other than just a good physical examination to ascertain their, their health and their soundness. But this would uh, allow us many times to nip early, you know, problems early, you know, you know nip them in the bud, so to speak, uh, rather than allowing them to uh, become uh, a major uh, lameness uh, issue. So that um, is a large part of what I did uh, as, as a developing, so to speak, team veterinarian and what I have continued to do in my practice uh, since. Again, preventive medicine that doesn't necessarily mean treating the horse, but being just aware of the horse's status and its health. That sounds like that sounds like a, a little bit of a difficult job trying to ascertain if there's a problem today or, or you know, whether it's, uh, I think, musculature or, you know, how, how do you go about about doing that? Well, you know, it, it really involves a very thorough physical examination, which I advocate always to my students that I teach and to my interns and uh, presentations that I give. You know, you step back, you look at the horse overall, uh, you before you ever touch it, uh, you listen to the trainer, you listen to the rider, you, what they have to say about how the horse feels under them. Having been a rider, uh, having been a hunter-jumper rider, I understand what a horse feels like when it's maybe leaning on one hand or is dead to one leg or that sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it helps with insight to listen to the people. Uh, and then, you know, we, we go over the horses. We palpate them thoroughly. Uh, I do a modified acupuncture examination on every lameness exam that I do. And uh, that allows me to feel that horse and really get to know it uh, uh, to uh, evaluate whether there's subtle sorenesses that may be a signalment of a more complex problem. Uh, and then, you know, we do the sort of usual flexion tests and watching the horse move in hand and watching the ho horse, how it responds to flexion tests and so forth. And then watching the horse perhaps on a lunge and in circles to the right and left and, and maybe walking in, in figure eights and circles and so forth. And then customarily, I usually watch the horse also ridden and ask it to do some unusual or different things and maybe just normal riding to try to further evaluate whether there's evidence of discomfort. Many horses uh, don't show really any evidence of discomfort until a rider is aboard. So we put all of that together to try to ascertain where we are with this horse and if, in fact, we want to proceed from there to uh, possibly diagnostic uh, nerve blocks uh, to uh, diagnostic ultrasound, radiography, whatever the case may be, 
uh, whether this horse is a more complex problem that perhaps needs uh, uh, an MRI examination or perhaps a, a nuclear scintigraphic examination, whatever the case. But the basis is the thorough physical examination, starting with just simply looking at the horse and touching it. I think you, like many other veterinarians, are, are should or could be pretty happy about the variety of diagnostic uh, tools that are out there, as well as the number of treatment options are are ever growing. Indeed, indeed, and you know it's it's interesting. I did recently did a presentation uh, for uh, an, a practice uh, that asked me to come and just speak about what I've seen change in veterinary medicine in my years of practice. And, you know, the, uh, PC was not invented until a couple of years after I graduated from vet school and that's changed everything. Uh, you know, we used to lug around these horribly heavy and not particularly good, uh, x-ray portable x-ray machines. And we had to carry, uh, the, you know, 50 uh, x-ray cassettes with us. And there was no such thing as ultrasound and endoscopy was done with a rigid endoscope. I mean, it was, it was really primitive. And what we have now with the, with the, with the invention of computers, with video endoscopes and with ultrasound and with now the more recent development of MRI and uh, CT scanning and so forth, our options and our ability to really get down to what's really wrong with the horse um, is really exciting. And it's what's kept me as a a senior uh, veterinarian very interested and very involved in practice because I'm constantly fascinated with what uh, technology is allowing us to to do. And that goes for therapies as well. Um, and, you know, it used to be if we had a sore joint, well, we put some cortisone in it of one form or another. And then after a period of time, we were able to get uh, hyaluronate, uh, hyaluronic acid, and to add to the cortisone. And so that maybe made a little better program for the horse and maybe was a little kinder to the joint. And then we now we've moved into the age of regenerative therapies, and we have so many options there. Uh, but the the use of products such as what um, Al Manor makes with the uh, Prostride product, which is a conditioned PRP, has really afforded us a way to help quell uh, inflammation in joints without having secondary problems that we might encounter from overuse of corticosteroids. So maybe you can just talk about what what is the what is the process of of using uh, Prostride? How how do you administer it? Well, Prostride uh, is derived from the horse's whole blood, uh, and it's it's drawn uh, in a sterile fashion uh, using an anticoagulant, so the blood doesn't clot, uh, and uh, then it's placed uh, aseptically into a specialized container that uh, uh, that is provided by the Owl Manor uh, company that allows us to then spin it down in their specially designed centrifuge at a specific RPM and a, for a specific length of time. And it allows the blood to be separated into constituent parts, the cellular parts, the platelet-rich plasma, and the platelet-poor plasma. And the way the device that we spin it in 
uh, his design is really fascinating. And it's, it's all about, you know, uh, specific gravity and the density of things, but the way it settles out, it's, it's really, uh, very, very, uh, well done. And so we're able to then draw off the, uh, platelet rich plasma and subsequently, uh, put it in another sterile container that exposes it to uh, a chemical activity that, uh, activates, uh, the cellular components of it to produce, um, interleukin receptor antagonist protein, and also to release some of the other cytokines, which are substances, cellularly active substances that, that help with healing function or anti-inflammatory function. And so we spin it down in this second container and we get our finished product where we've started with about 60 milliliters of blood. We'll end up with anywhere from three to six milliliters of blood, depending upon whether we've diluted it just a little bit with the platelet poor plasma. But it gives us a uh, a really potent anti-inflammatory and healing agent that we can put in uh, inflamed joints. And how long does that process take? All together uh, with uh, the spend time and prepping, scrubbing the horse to uh, collect the blood sterilely, spend time, the second spin, prepping the joints, uh, half hour to 45 minutes all together from soup to nuts and the horse is treated. The, the, that sounds pretty convenient. It's very convenient. The horse side adaptation of something that used to only be able to be done in a laboratory is really useful. And it, it makes for a very easy product to use. And, and what I really like about it is the way the product is designed. It, you, you really would have to be extremely careless to, to contaminate products. It, it's, it's just well done and to be working in, the, you know, in an environment that uh, might be a stable. So uh, what, what is the most common joints that, that you would be uh, injecting with, with ProStride? In the horses that I take care of, uh, which would be, as I said, hunter jumpers and dressage horses predominantly, I do a few eventers as well. Um, I would say that uh, the most frequently injected joints would be the distal interphalangeal joint, which is the coffin joint in the front feet. Um, yeah. sometimes occasionally the hind, the hind feet, I just looked at a dressage horse today that was sore behind that I think his coffin joints are going to have to be treated, but that's fairly uncommon, but, uh, uh, distal tarsal joints, which is the, are the lower hock joints, the stifle joints, uh, are not at all uncommonly affected with stress and strain, uh, and the fetlocks, obviously, uh, front or hind. Uh, and so those are the ones most often and, and, uh, and, and the, the fetlocks, coffin joints and stifles are all pretty high motion joints. And so I really like this product, uh, in those high motion joints, because I think it's kind of the joint, whereas corticosteroids can sometimes interfere with, uh, the metabolism of the articular cartilage if used repeatedly. And so this particular product, when it's used repeatedly, has less of an effect of that sort and, in fact, has a healing effect, which we really like. So uh, if you had to estimate, like, how long have you been using ProStride? And do you have any real success stories that, that, that you can share with us? 
Yeah, you know, I have I have a number of success stories. I had a very very high caliber dressage horse that was intended to go to the uh, World Equestrian Games that had a bad injury to a hind fetlock and uh, it uh, had a subchondral um, bone bruise and was really quite lame at a very inflamed uh, joint. But with a series of prostride injections. Uh, coupled with uh, judicious use of uh, um, bisphosphonate product, um, children, uh, we were able to get this horse completely squared away uh, in the uh, winter, uh, the, in the fall and winter before the subsequent uh, World Equestrian Games in 2018. And, you know, it was, I, I'm not sure that if we had not had a good regenerative agent, that we would have had the success that we did. Um, I can think of a couple of other horses that I'm taking care of right now that have had some pretty nasty uh, fetlock uh, inflammations that could have gone the degenerative route that we seem to have stabilized well uh, using the ProStride product. Um, and I would say that we've had good, good luck also in general with the use of ProStride in the uh, coffin joint when it was associated with inflammation of the navicular navicular bone and bursa. Um, we've also used it in the navicular bursa successfully with horses that had mild to moderate tendon uh, inflammation or injury. Uh, so uh, we've, we've found a number of places where it's been really, really gratifying to use the product. Um, and, um, you know, I, I could go on and on about the number of places that we use it. I haven't thrown corticosteroids out, but I tend to use them sometimes in lesser inflammations and when there's no evidence of real joint trauma, uh, just there's low-grade inflammation, maybe from overuse or, you know, overzealous training. Uh, but uh, when we start talking about repeat injections or horses that have had you know, some sort of injury, I, I tend to lean much more toward the regenerative agent. Well, I think a lot of riders and a lot of horses are really grateful for the, you know, innovations that are coming along in, in, in sports medicine and, and rehabilitation for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we've got a lot more things uh, coming along and, you know, we, we also have use of, uh, uh, Al Manor's uh, Restigen product, which is a PRP product, which is basically derived from that first spin container that I was talking about when we were talking about how we made the ProStride. And, you know, we fi we're finding that that's very useful uh, in uh, joints as well, uh, particularly in the back and the neck. Uh, and uh, although I will sometimes go ahead and produce the, the, uh, the, the post-dry product for injecting the necks and backs too. So, but we're, we're finding, you know, new uses uh, as they have in human medicine with the use of um, PRP and PRP like products uh, in uh, human uh, orthopedics uh, more and more and moving away from uh, using as much corticosteroid as uh, we really had no choice, but to, if we were going to make them feel better a number of years ago. Well, Dr. Mitchell, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on our show and giving us uh, all kinds of, of great information. And, and it's, it's really interesting how, how these things are developing.
So if, if, if anyone wants to contact you about, you know, your, your veterinary practice or about ProStride, how can they do that? Okay, our, our website is www.fairfieldequine.com. And I have two email addresses, which I'm happy for people to contact me if they have questions. Uh, one is rmitchell at fairfieldequine.com. And my other email address is rmitch, M-I-T-C-H, 2074 at AOL.com. So I can be reached at either of those. And uh, if I don't respond immediately, it's just because I have too many emails. But I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, get around to I'll get around to responding, I promise. So uh, if I can help anyone or, or guide someone to a colleague that's using these products somewhere in the country, I'm happy to, happy to talk to them. Well, thank you so much and, and have a good evening. All right. Well, thank you very much. You too. Thank you. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Researchers have confirmed that as horses age, they naturally become less sensitive to insulin and more susceptible to health problems caused by too much sugar in the diet. One way to reduce the sugar content in a horse's diet is to replace sugar-laden grains with a high-fat supplement. Fat is an extraordinary energy source. It is readily utilized by the horse and contains more than two times the calories of sugary grains. Equijule Stabilized Rice Bran is an excellent fat supplement. It contains a balanced calcium-to-phosphorus ratio and won't cause mineral imbalances when added to the diet. Its all-natural ingredients are high in healthy fat and fiber. Best of all, Equijule allows owners to easily replace the calories previously supplied by sugary grains. When you need to add healthy calories to your horse's diet, choose Equijule. To learn more, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, tonight we have our favorite guest of the month. Don't tell her anybody else. We have Wendy Murdoch from the Murdoch Method on. Wendy, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks. It's so great to be back. I just love chatting with you guys. <laughs> we were just laughing on how much like it takes us we have to like catch up before we get recording. So our our sweet producer Paul's like, "Come on, everybody, get on the show." <laughs> but well, we're so happy to have you and uh you know, everybody's listening from all different parts of the country and I just want to say Phil got a little present from you because obviously you love me more. Uh, and I got <laughs> presents and Phil was feeling a little left out, weren't you, Phil? So you got some presents from Wendy. So you didn't feel so left out. I know. Last time I felt he, he, he sounded so sad up there in Canada in the cold and nothing to do that we had to send him something to play with to keep himself occupied. So we sent him a full set of Franklin balls in one of the anywhere saddle chairs. And, uh, and so how's it going, Phil? Well, I am so grateful to you, Wendy, for, for sending me things. So um, first off, I was sharing, sharing the Franklin balls with my students out in the barn, which has been great because um, you know, it's winter. We need some stuff to do. And, you know, uh, when it gets so cold, it's been so cold lately that we haven't really been working on the horses as much as, you know, just trying to, you know, keep the conditioning going and work on some some small things and some tips for the riders, you know, and, and trying to stay motivated. So 
I mean, the the Franklin balls have been fantastic for giving us something to play with. And um, and so I've got the, I've got I come in with my bag of balls, you know, and then you know people are like, what is that? What are we doing today? You crazy guy. Sorry. You know, I, I can't help but laugh every time. It's so great. <laughs> no, I had I had somebody like, are you gonna throw those at me? And I'm like, oh, I do sometimes. You don't listen. Then oh. yes. Wow. I toss them out. I guess there's a dexterity and I toss them up and see, is the horse going to be afraid? Right. It's a great way to test your horse and, and see their manual if they can catch them. Right. You got to be careful what horse you do that with, obviously. Sure. 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 Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, but you know, sometimes they come out, like I had a rider, she was riding with the blue peanut, the airfield one that you like so much Reese. And she was cantering and I don't know what she did, but she spit that thing out sideways and it wound (laughs) up on the wall. (laughs) Oh yeah, that oh, happened. I had yeah, I guess it. it can be that. That one can be pressurized a bit. Huh? <laughs> yeah, so you know, so you want to make sure your horses are okay with they fall. That's on the actually a good point. Something That's like that. Point. So it's always, yeah, it's always good to let them know that it might happen, right? You know. Yeah. But the horse didn't react. It happened so fast, and he was still cantering, and I was just amazed <laughs> because it's a high, you know, kick wall, and it wound up right on top of it. I was like, wow. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hello. Yeah. Well, and I use yeah. I use the purple fleecy ones under people's elbows a lot oh, and, yeah. and they they do come a flying out so that is a yeah. good point and, and i do i am careful with what horse we I, there's some horses we don't use them with but in general they're pretty good and i i, I make everybody pay a toll when i have to go pick them up and i do feel like i get some <laughs> extra steps in my lesson because i have to go get them so <laughs> oh, yeah what do they have to pay how do they pay the toll what do they have to get well you? i mean i need to probably up the ante right now it's only 25 cents and i oh. they don't i i actually pay myself but you know one one <laughs> one week one week i i actually got enough to get starbucks for the barn i was like oh, wait a minute i made enough go. in my toll it is my it's 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 how i have my savings account so you know i'm putting in you know putting in about 10 bucks a week from my uh from my uh picking up but I, I do every once in a while, people will actually pay their toll. And it's pretty great. Or bring me a Starbucks, which is also oh, good. That's awesome. So, Phil, you were uh, telling us something, though, about the, um, the there's, okay, so just for people who haven't heard us talk about the balls before, there's seven different ones. There's a, a, a peanut that's air filled, it's pale blue. And then there's a purple peanut that's water filled. And then there's the purple plush ones. I call them tennis like tennis balls because they're great for under the elbows or somebody with a really sensitive butt, you know, really sensitive seat bones. I'll use those. And then there's blue moons, green moons, tomatoes, and oranges. And they're just different sizes and textures. And so I just gave them plenty of names to help me remember because otherwise I couldn't. But but Phil, you just told us before we got started about what happened to your purple peanut. So <laughs> Well, you have to I, I like I like the purple one. I like the I like the gel filled kind of thing. So you know, I had it in the arena and, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then I come back in the next day and well, like I said, it's been so cold and my purple peanut froze. So that's just a tip for people like, don't, don't leave that one in the arena because it's going to freeze. Like, so then I, had to, I didn't have it for the day. I had the other one and then I had to I put it in the back room and now, now it's going to come in and out, you know, as, as I, uh, as I come in and out of the arena, but, uh, but now you've you done know, a field those, test on freezing. Which yeah, is awesome. we know, we know they freeze. So, <laughs> they so Wendy, freeze. tell us. Yeah, they tell us why freeze. we and use. And it's okay. Nothing, nothing bad happened to it. I it, yeah. just thought out, and then, and then we so, carry so, on. But so, why is that one your favorite? I don't know. Because it's um, so it, it's so interesting that everybody has a favorite. Like 
Like yeah. there's all the different ones, yeah. but everybody has a favorite. And I'm always fascinated. Um, you know, some of them are obvious that, you know, you don't want to really, the really big orange ones, if you're a little tiny person or, um, you know, some of them might push you up against the front of the saddle a little bit too much. Cause as they lift you, they move you forward a little bit. And so sometimes you might hit the front of the saddle. So you don't want anything too big, but the, the purple peanut one I've used with people with really severe injuries that needed help getting into the saddle after an injury and stuff. So I'm really curious why you find that one, why you like that one. If you know, I think, I, I think because, um, you know, that, uh, I don't have much cushion for you know for the i i I can't take the hard ones right and so i like the purple peanut it doesn't get displaced as easy i think or or i'll go with the i'll go with the orange balls but the orange balls that they have a little too much um too much air you know i just can't i can't can't seem to get enough weight to squish them down oh okay that's it really pushes me up up against the pommel I yeah. think it might be part of having male anatomy that that's a little <laughs> That's not <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> no, it's true. You know, and it's not like I've I've used the Franklin balls with a lot of men. So, you know, it was one of the things of sending it up to you is just to see what you like. And that's really interesting. So that's why there's a variety, you know, variety is the spice of life and um and everybody likes to play around. But you know, you talked about how it's it's great for your students. And what I've always found with them is it's something so easy to use that, you know, if you can't get to your instructor that week or if, you know, you, you need something for your warm up just to get you to relax and not grip against the saddle. That's where they're great. And they're sort of I think of them as like a, a mini lesson in themselves just to like warm up and and get relaxed and open your hips and, and that kind of thing. So they're just fun, too. They're yeah, fun I, think and, and, I think it's cool. I think it's like people have to, you know, change something up and then assess how it makes you feel or assess, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you can find where you're tight. You know, you need all these mm-hmm. things to kind of uh, figure out your own seat a little bit and be more body aware you know because somebody can stand in the middle of the arena and yell at you all you know until you're blue in the face but until you have uh you know you have to create these aha moments and you know sometimes it's through reading a book watching a video or you know getting some of these i call them kind of passive teaching tools because i just you know here try this what what do you think about that and i'm you know as an instructor i don't have to like process and think and watch and look i just say how does that make you feel let's try these different ones how does that make you feel and 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 then let's take them away what how do you feel that you're better or deeper or worse you know i think that's just like part of you know just having a instructor student conversation or uh student just thinking feeling and 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 figuring some some things out for themselves so that's 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 been cool exactly it you just hit it on the head that was perfect because that's really it you know what I see with some students is they get so busy trying to please the instructor and do what they're told to do that they stop feeling. They stop kind of going, well, how do I feel? And, you know, in self, self-observation, self I guess, if you will. And that's one of the things the Franklin Balls do is they put us in self-observation. It might be, oh, my God, I'm really nervous being up this high on something that feels unstable. Or it might be, oh, wow, that was perfect. Right. But all those things bring up emotions and thoughts and feelings that give us an opportunity to kind of. Uh, be self-reflective, and and that's what we need as riders. We need to be able to pay attention to what our body is doing in relation to the horse, and not just simply be in our head trying to, you know, think about all these things instead of experience and feel and be in the moment. 
And, and Wendy, I, I have certainly found too with teaching. So pretty much what we do is one lesson is sort of dedicated to kind of finding which set each person likes the most. Um, and so I say, okay, come on, this is going to take, this is going to be a writing session. And once we find the ones that, because everybody's different and, and that's, so I found that kind of, if I was going to pick one, I always start with the blue peanut. Cause I found that most people seem to like the blue peanut, not everybody, but I start with the blue peanut and sort of work from there. And once people find the ones that they like, their particular ones, then I have a basket and and they sit in my arena and they just pop in and they grab whatever one they like and they put it on for about five minutes when they come because each ball positions your hip differently. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're looking for. So your instructor really should be there the first couple of times or a friend or whoever you kind of rely on to help you figure out which one's going to work the best for your body. Because yeah. once you find that, then then you're kind of off to the races in a way. You know, then you can warm up and use it, and then take it away. and And it's 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 a great tool. We love. I so, mean, I've been very helpful. Philip, I have one. When you took it away, did it feel like you were in a hole, or was there a bump? Hole. Yeah, ah. isn't that the weirdest thing? Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's so interesting because so many times when people, it's. And you're right, Reese. It's not just having them underneath you, but when you take them away and you sit back into your saddle, it's like this like moment of like, wow, it's it's so fascinating. And, you know, from the Feldenkrais perspective, there's a lesson that I'll, uh, I haven't been able to give anybody lately because of COVID, but um, I take a foam roller uh, and I have anything from a three, four to six inch roller and I put it down along the spine and they're on their back on my tables. Feldenkrais's Typically, we'll we'll work on a table. You're fully dressed. It's not massage. It's it's lessons about learning how to use your body. Um, and but I'll put this roll there, and then during the lesson, they'll be on it for a little while, and then they'll come off the roll and they'll lay back on the table. And sometimes the table feels like it's a hammock, and other times it feels like it's a speed bump. Uh-huh. It's so weird, that but it's weird. really cool. And, and it just, you know, I don't know what the person's going to feel until they tell me. I go, so what's the table feel like? They're like, oh, it's a speed bump, you know, or, oh, it's a whole, and it changes. And it's it's all to do with our perception and our proprioception and our nervous system. And it's fascinating how we can experience um, things that um, just feel so incredibly different after doing something little like like sitting on Franklin Balls. It's, it's such a cool, it's such a cool tool. Uh, you know, so, so Phil, you, uh, what else was in your, in your box of surprises for Wendy? I don't, I don't want to tell anybody that I got this because I haven't brought (laughs) it out to the barn for my students yet. And then they're going to want to, they're going to want to bug me. But, um, Wendy was also kind enough to send me the anywhere saddle chair, which I'm just having an, an awesome time, you know, just discovering and feeling this tool myself. So that's why, yeah. Okay. It's okay, Phil. It's okay that you, yeah, <laughs> as long as your students do not listen to the show, you're okay. Yeah. Mine yeah. hasn't gone out to the barn either. I, yeah. Mine's in my house. I have, yeah. I, so, so we were chatting before we go. So, so Wendy, explain to people, if they don't know where the anywhere saddle chair is, what is it? So, so basically it's, um, it has a, a ball surface on the bottom and a saddle shape on the top and it's, uh, and you sit on it, right? And it has a base so that it's stable. Um, but it because of the ball on the bottom, the chair can tilt in any direction. And the cool thing is you can put it on your de- office chair, a mounting block, a bench. Um, that's why it's called the Anywhere Saddle Chair. And it, and it comes in a mesh bag. So like if you're going to be sitting at a 
at a clinic or a bleachers or something like that. And you can take it with you so that you're comfortable. Um, and so, you know, I, I got these and I sent one to Phil and it's no surprise to me, Phil, that it hasn't made it out to the barn because <laughs> mine's still in my office. It doesn't go to the barn. I keep it on my <laughs> desk chair. And, and um, I was telling you guys before we got started that I was, I, I've been working on the computer almost nonstop because the weather's so bad and I can't ride because I can't get the trailer, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I don't have an indoor. And so I've been sending hours in my desk chair and not on my saddle chair. And I would wake up and I would have a headache because my shoulders and my neck were so tight. And I was like, dummy, you have these downstairs. Why don't you put it on? So for the past uh, five days, I guess it is, I've been sitting on my anywhere saddle chair. Now I can sit on it for eight hours and I don't recommend that anybody start at eight hours. No. Okay. Because <laughs> you'll, you'll feel it. Yeah, yeah start with five or ten minutes. Yeah, sure. I'm like, you'll feel yeah. it. <laughs> um, but my neck pain's gone, my headaches are gone, and it's all because I was sitting there at my desk, you know, kind of crunching my shoulders up, and and now that I'm on my anywhere saddle chair, yeah. and it keeps you in movement. So, mm -hmm. um, so Phil, that's what have you? That's what you've been doing, huh? That's what I've been doing, and actually, um, you know, I've just been using it like Reese was talking about in the last show, I think is, you know, a bit of a visualization tool, but, uh, you know, I've been, well, I've been practicing half passes at home in, mm -hmm. in the anywhere saddle chair, because, you know, I think that's one of the movements in which people can get misaligned so easily, uh, in, in a little bit, the, the wrong place with a, with a collapsing, um, outside hip instead of, a. a uh, a lowering and a, and a balancing on the inside hip. So I've been using it to, to really, you know, again, it's about self-discovery and sort of, you know, how, how do I, how do I ride this? Or, you know, how do I move my, my pelvis better? You know, how do I think about making a half halt? And so really it's just been, you know, you know, maybe tw 20 minutes just kind of discovering for myself so that when I do take it out, I, I want to be prepared to take it out to the, to the barn and, and have some, not exercises, but some ideas in, in which to instruct uh, people on uh, when, when using the, uh, the anywhere saddle chair. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a great, because when you take the horse away from the picture, you know, you have a horse and, and, you know, this one listens better than that one, or this one, you know, mm -hmm. you do, you end up kind of conforming to your horse a little bit more than doing what's correct. So when I've been at home, I'm just sort of like, what is the correct position for me to be in to make a left half pass, regardless of sitting on a horse or not? So that's where I found it really interesting. And just feeling like, you know, different core muscles activating, different spine positions. And and that's where I've been really kind of, you know, as Reese always says, like geeking out, like, or just like, <laughs> You know, and then, and then my my wife is a rider too, and so she's she's at home, uh, you know. And I'm like, okay, here, you know, look, look what I've sort of found out or discovered. Why, why don't you try it? And let's 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 talk about. So we've both been uh, really having a, having a lot of fun, just you guys kind of experimenting, just doing lots of experiments. Yeah. You guys playing with okay. your saddle chair. Yeah, because I, I, that, that would be yeah. great. So, I uh, I, I use it, Wendy. So you know, I. I use it to visualize number one, cause I, uh, you know, do a lot of visualization right now. So I ride the Grand Prix on it every day and I ride the Grand Prix special on it every day right now, uh, when I'm kind of heavy training, but I use it in the morning, um, because I have a hip injury. So I really need it in the morning. Uh, I literally have my coffee and I have it 
I, I watch the morning news and I sit on the chair in the morning for about five, 10 minutes just to warm up actually. Uh, and it's, it's actually helped me a lot because that is something it's very hard to warm that up. Sometimes I'll actually do yoga and then get on my chair if I have extra time. Oh, That's cool. like ideal. Cause then I can warm up my hip and then I get on it and then I go outside and ride. So, um, that's been really helpful for me as sort of part of my injury. Um, so I, you know, it, it's something I have to manage and it's been a really good tool for me. So if anybody has obviously talk to your physician or, you know, mm-hmm. be careful doing it. Um, but it has been very helpful for me to get on yeah. it in the morning. And, and I, you know, I go check with your doctor, your physical therapist and make sure it's okay. But you know, this is a, it's a gentle way to get movement going again in the pelvic area and the hips. Um, and, and you can control it. So it's not like you're at the mercy of it. You can control it because your feet are on the floor. And um, the other thing you can do is put it in front of a mirror. And Ooh. you just have to re- remember you're, you're seeing the mirror image, right? But then you can, like, close your eyes and, and figure out where you think you are, like, for a half pass and then open your eyes and see, you know, are you re- – are because you, you have some feedback, but then you get the visual feedback as well to just make it more. Yeah. No, it's a fantastic product. Well, Wendy, as always, we love all of the products. They, they, you know, you really, you bring such fun bags of tricks for us, uh, for us all, for all our riders. So how do our riders, um, how can we find it? Especially people that are stuck at home right now and need some motivation. How do they find it? So you can find all the products on the MurdochMethod.com shop. So just go to MurdochMethod.com, go to the shop, go to training aids, and you'll see all the fun stuff to, to help you riding there. And of course, all the Surefoot products are there as well. So that's great for your horses. You know, I just really quickly, we had um, recently a woman and she's she's been handling a lot of off-the-track thoroughbreds. And this one has played up for three years going out to the paddock, rearing up and stuff. She sent me a video and she put it on Facebook and five minutes total time and maybe on the pad for, you know, the first time was two seconds. The second time was two two seconds. And the third time was maybe 30 seconds. This horse completely changed. And she sent me an email and her working student now can lead the horse, which she wouldn't let do before because the horse wasn't safe. And now the horse is fine. So, you know, cool. Yeah. So, you know, basically stability work for you and your horse. That's really Love it. Yeah. Love it. One more time. How, how do people find, find you? Okay. Uh, MurdochMethod.com. Go to the shop for training aids and Surefoot. And of course I'm on Facebook. Oh, Reese, I forgot to tell you. Um, I have to tell everybody we're doing a, a contest on Facebook, free contest. What? And, um, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. But anyway, um, so what it is, is it's our fifth anniversary of Surefoot pads. Most businesses don't make it to five years, 50, 50% of businesses fail in the first five years, and we've made it in spite of a pandemic. So we are so excited so cool. about it that we're doing um, five weeks of contests. So each week, there's a post on on the Surefoot Equine Facebook page or the Fans of Surefoot page, and it tells you what the contest is, and you enter. And then we do a drawing for that week. You have to enter all five weeks for the grand prize drawing, which is a full set of Surefoot pads. It's a value over $1,000 with the Surefoot pads, but you have to enter all five weeks. So if you missed a week, all you missed out on was that weekly drawing. You can go back, enter into each of the week contests because they're different each week. We do we do a little bit different thing. And um, and then on week six, we'll make sure that every week. 
let everybody know if they're entered in all five weeks. Alex, whom who uh, is my assistant, that's her job. She's I, she listens to us every week, so I know now that I've said her name, she's gonna be oh no! Shout out to <laughs> Alex. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's so exciting, and people have been posting like uh, just great comments and photos of their horses and it's so much fun to see that how many horses Sherpa's helping so it's just warms how my heart cool. in this cold winter yeah awesome oh well fantastic well wendy as always we love having you on and we can't wait for next month yeah so take care and i hope it thaws out for everybody especially down there in texas that's so uh, and warms up. Except uh, for you, Reese. You need to cool down. Okay, girl. I need to cool down a little bit. I need to cool down a little. It's true. Well, thank you, Wendy. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Phil. Bye. Bye, Reese. Thanks. Bye, Wendy. And now a quick word from EcoGold Saddle Pads. No slipping, no sliding, no problem. EcoGold Secure Saddle Pads are engineered to keep the horses back comfortable while keeping the saddle in place for a safe, competitive ride. They have impact protection through the seat and the ultra-thin flaps provide the rider with better communication and a more stable riding position. Available in both English and Western styles, shop the entire collection at ecogold.ca. Well, tonight in our adult amateur spotlight, we have Liz Massalia on the line. Liz, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Reese. <laughs> well, I know you're a listener of the podcast because um, you have, have clipped with me and been one of my students in Ocala, Florida, when I head up in that direction. And uh, we wanted to tell our story because we have kind of, it's kind of funny, kind <laughs> of not, <laughs> but I want you to tell the version of why I have you on because I have, su- I have such high respect for you and in our story together. So I'll just let you, you tell your version. How does that sound? Okay. Okay. That sounds <laughs> great. So I had a lesson with Reese, my first and only lesson at that time with Reese in, in Ocala. And I'm an eventer and I dabble in dressage and show jumpers. So um, this was a big deal for me to get to lesson with Reese. And I had a prelim horse I was riding at the time. And uh, Reese, I had trouble sitting the trot. Like many amateurs, I had three kids. I'm 51 years old. And no matter how much I tried, I could not sit the trot very well. It was just hard. My body didn't allow me to. And um, no matter how much I wanted it, it didn't happen. And and Reese, um, during the lesson, she was very... um, blunt with me and pretty much so said, listen, you are not riding well and you, it's not going to be safe for you um, in the sport you do. And you have a lot of work to do. And it was very blunt. And I'm not going to lie. I cried. Uh, oh, I feel, I still feel I, bad I, about this. Everyone coaches no. really feel bad about this. I felt don't, terrible. You just made someone cry. Oh gosh. Don't even, I'm still, <laughs> I need to buy this wine. I feel so bad. Don't even start with me, Philip. No, because Philip's I made me cry before. You. Yeah. I probably asked you, what can I do to get better? And you were very honest and I appreciate your honesty. And I'm very grateful because in the two years, this was two years ago. So fast forward. Um, I wanted to get better. I wanted to be a good rider. I wanted to be able to sit the trot. I wanted to be safe in my sport. And I, you told me about the dressage rider training one, and I did that. And I um, had a badly herniated disc in my back. And every time my, even my dressage trainer at home was like, oh, drop your heel. I'd like laughed because I'm like, my body doesn't move that way. So I kind of went on a journey in the past two years to figure out how to make my body move the way I needed it to. I watched tons of videos. I pretty much so did anything I could. I took 
lunge line lessons, learning to sit the trot, but mostly I did like physical therapy and I work with, um, I worked with Tony Sando, Sandoval, um, coach Sando with, um, riders and kind of how to unlock your hips and things. I still have some, um, so as things to fix out, but, um, fast forward, I had another lesson with Reese and, um, I was able, well, Reese can tell, but I was able to, I'm able to sit the trot now. Um, and I have a so new well, horse, by the I'm way, I'm very excited for, yes, <laughs> I'm so well. for my new horse and, and I can actually be a little bit effective. I still have a long way to go, but, um, there's a lot of amateurs out there that are probably just like me that want it so bad and our bodies can't do it. I mean, they just, I'm 50 and I've fallen off a lot. I've been hit by a couple cars. I had a herniated disc, got a lot of scar tissue. And it wasn't until I really went on the journey that was like, how am I going to get my body to do that? Like I watched people ride and I was like, I want to ride like that. And I had to find out how to do that. So fast forward two years, I was so excited to lesson with Reese because I always (laughs) said to myself after that lesson, I'm not coming back until I can sit the trot and ride well. And I want to wow her. So and she did, she wowed me. (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, to, to, you know, I do coach a lot of adventures as well. And, you know, event coaches, it's a little bit different in the sport in the sense of, you know, people can really get injured out there in cross country Mm -hmm. in dressage, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to get a bad score. It's going to hurt your feelings. But if you're out on the cross country course and, and, and the dressage tests are there to kind of be a test for, can you do the questions on cross country? And, and you were doing what everybody tries to do, which is, you know, it's, I don't, I don't, I have a family obviously, but I don't have children and I don't have all of those other things. And my husband, I'm very lucky this season and a lot of seasons, my husband is with me. So my life kind of carries on when I'm training in Florida fairly well. We're just in a different location. Um, so I don't have all those, those other complications of, of, of family and children and all of those things. I can be very focused, but what happens is people want to fly down. Professional riders are keeping their horses going and then, and, and then show and train within a couple days, right? Like you fly in on Monday or Tuesday and you want to show on the weekend and that can actually be dangerous. In, in a lot of ways, because, um, if you're really not fit and not ready to go, um, even if you are, it's still a challenge. And so that was sort of where I was coming from in that sense of, you know, I don't think you're ready to, to do what you're doing, right. You're not really fit enough. And, and I don't, I, I, I am as a coach and even as a, as a rider and a person, like I'm not the most fit person on the planet. Um, you know, I've certainly been working really hard at it. It's very difficult. And I'm now in my forties and it's very different as you get it, as you age and get into your forties and you have injuries. And so very, you know, I obviously tried to be very respectful of that, but you asked my opinion and I, I felt like, mm-hmm my opinion would be a good motivator. And I love your story because sometimes I think, and and you know, very good coaches in your, in your world and in your life. Mm -hmm. And your dad is a, is a hall of fame coach. And I knew you knew (laughs) about coaching, you know, I, I, I knew you Mm -hmm. knew what good coaching was and, and our job as coaches is not always to tell you you're wonderful, you know, sometimes you may hear something you don't like. And it, it, I was not coming from a place of, um, any, any, um, I was not trying to be mean or you asked me my opinion and I gave it to you. And, and, and I did try to give you, here are some solutions to this problem, but you're really going to have to hunker down and 
man, did you hunker down? And, and to see you ride was like as a coach and someone who, who knew what I said was hard and hurtful at the time to see you. And, and I don't, let me just hands up. I, I don't like to do that to someone, but I also didn't want to see, I didn't want to get a report that you had fallen off because you, your core wasn't strong, you know, that to be jumping preliminary mm-hmm. jumps or, I mean, I've never jumped preliminary jumps in my life. It's terrifying, but those things are huge <laughs> and, and you've got to be stable in the saddle. Right. I mean, this, and mm-hmm. so to see you hunker down and it was, I mean, I, I like almost cried a couple of weeks ago when I saw you ride, it was, it was beautiful. It was so, and like you said, you have a new horse and, but to see you ride and to be able to ride and to compete at that level and preliminary for um, dressage riders is like second level. So, um, but it's, it's mm-hmm. getting to be where things are kind of real and in eventing for sure. Um, and to see you compete and then you've competed even higher now. And it was, it was awesome. And so, you know, I, I asked you to come on the show because like I said, I was, I felt horrible after your lesson from a coaching. I was like, (laughs) Oh my gosh. But to just hear that you were able to take that information, take it the way I absolutely wanted it to go. And I think a lot of coaches want it to be that way. We want to be your biggest fans, but we're also paid for our opinion. And and to see you fly was amazing. It was so cool. And I, I truly couldn't give you enough props because I know what you did was very, very difficult. So can you tell us a couple of your couple, you know, what you were doing in the gym and with uh, coach Sandoval, like how did, how did you progress after dressage rider training? What? So I realized I, you know, I would go and take these lunge line lessons with my dressage trainer at home in Indiana with Jennifer Kaiser. And um, I still, even on her, like, you know, bigger school horses, it was just hard. And I was like, okay. I'm not there yet. And I saw Tony Sandoval. He works with um, some eventers and I called him up and I said, listen, what's it going to take? I think I have some locked up areas in my body and I can't figure it out. And so we did it all on zoom and it's, you know, it really kind of started there. And, and he had me do like all these stretches. My husband cracked up and I have teenage kids too. And they were laughing really hard because I had to do like push ups and have my family video me. So Oh, that's is, you know, painful. Part of this. It was painful, <gasps> but you know what? It was also like a true, where are you in your fitness? You know, how long can you plank? How, you know, all this stuff, can you touch your toes? Which I could not when I started this, by the way. Um, and Tony starts you very slowly and it was stupid things. I mean, it was like, look over your left shoulder, look over your right shoulder. And I had no clue. All everyone said to me was your core, your core, you know, blah, 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 whatever your core. It was in my shoulders and my shoulder blades. And once he kind of unlocked my shoulder blades in terms of doing all these random exercises that I thought were stupid until I was sore the next day, it's like shrug your shoulders 10 times. Well, that sounds easy. And then you do it and you're like, oh, I'm legit a little sore. And, you know, it's just really odd things that he has you do. And all of a sudden it all started making sense. And I went for dressage lessons and my trainer was like, what are you doing? Keep it up. You're doing it. And, um, it just, it was um, everything from, you know, stretches on the ground, a little bit of yoga, things like that. But mostly it was finding where I was super tight in my body and where my injuries were and stretching those areas out. And every morning it was like 20 minutes of stretches and then, you know, some, a little bit of weightlifting, things like that. He had me do Tabata, you know, he had me do some different things um, for strength training and it's all on a little app and you just go through it. And it's been great. It's been great. Tony was super for me. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, as a you know, as a riding coach and 
And most of us riding co- coaches are not that great with, uh, you know, some of the physicalness. This is why Reese and I kind of recommend, you know, online programs or to reach out to physical therapists and, and, and bringing more people onto the team because, uh, you know, most of us become riding coaches because we ride well and we ride well because we started young. And right. so, and so we can't really tap into the feeling of having a body problem because we, we haven't haven't experienced it. Like we just learned to ride when when we could bounce off the ground and get back on and 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 all of those things. And mm-hmm. it was trial and error. And you know, I know personally, I I forget what it feels like not to be able to sit the trot. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a reality, right? So it's hard. It's hard as a coach. I mean, I, you know, I'm very sympathetic to my students, but I, it's hard to find. You know, to go about finding the reasons. But people who are trained to teach people to stretch and move about and, and are dealing with, with it more as a, as a, as a physical understanding and, and, and issue are great at that stuff. And so we want to lean on those, those people, uh, you know, on our team to be able to, to help us with our students. And, and you did a great thing is to, to, to take responsibility for your problems and to go search for solutions because your, your riding coach teaches you how to ride, but we're not great at, at solving body issues. And, and I have to say, as an amateur, we, you know, we do this for fun and cost us a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice on our parts. And it's important. I want other people to know that we all want it so bad. And, you know, there's this saying, oh, you need 10,000 hours to do it. It probably took me 20,000 hours to learn to sit the trot. Yeah, But I feel like it was a journey that was so worth it. And I'm so grateful to Reese for being so honest with me that, you know, in my very first lesson with her, so I've only lessoned with Reese twice now, um, in my very first, to be honest, uh, in my very first lesson, she was so honest with me and I am so grateful. So I think it's important that we as amateurs, we come to our lessons with some humility that we're, you know, we have a long way to go, but we also want our instructors to understand, you know, it might be a really random journey to get us there, um, but just to keep at it. And and I watched a ton of videos and just practice. I mean, I tried to like, you know, whenever I was getting gas, I would practice trying to get my knee behind my hip, you know, on the, on the like curb thing, just to, just to practice. I mean, stupid things like that. And that was kind of how it all came about. It was like, I made a goal of, I'm going to learn to sit the trot or, you know, die trying. um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's how it happened. So thank you for spurring me because I wanted it for a long time. I mean, I've wanted to learn to sit the trot for 10 years, but I never jumped off the edge and said, okay, take responsibility for this and learn because sitting in the saddle is not going to get it for me. I'm not going to get there. I've probably got 10,000 hours trying and I'm not there. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes trying isn't, isn't it right. And, and I get it. Like, I mean, professional writers too. I mean, I had, I had a, a lesson and we'll work with Andy Thomas, who's a body coach. Um, he's here in Wellington and, and I'm going to work with him myself. And it's the same thing. Like it's him saying, you know, do this and do this, and this is what's happening. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work and, and that's sort of, it, it takes time. And, and for us to Phil and I, like, you know, I have to do yoga. I try to walk and, you know, I've been trying to work on my fitness and I've been working three miles a day and working and, you know, all of those things. And, and it, it, that's honestly, at the end of the day, you, you have to take the hours off the horse too. And that's, 
And it's that, that is incredibly difficult. We're all of us, all three of us on this call, we're all busy. Um, but I have to put at least an hour, an hour and a half into my fitness every day to make a difference. And that's, it's an incredible amount of time. That's not even time in the horse. That's yoga and walking and, and, and doing my core stuff. And I mean, it's a lot of time and, and that's hard, but you know, for you to compete at the level that you wanted to compete at, that's what you had to do. And, and you did mm-hmm. and, and look at where you are now. And now it's not even, now you set the trot and it's not even a thing. And it, you know, that's, it's, it's amazing. And once you can do that, that opens so many doors because you were able to have the balance and, and, and the understanding and the body awareness, uh, to go jump those incredibly enormous jumps, um, <laughs> you have to go jump. So, I mean, Liz, yeah, you just truly, you're an inspiration to all of us. You're an inspiration to me. Uh, and I was so proud proud of you. Like I said, I still owe you a glass of wine for that, but I'm so proud of your <laughs> journey and, and what you've done truly. Um, and, and you really are an inspiration and just people should, should listen to your story because it, it, it's, it's hard. It, riding is not easy. If you want to compete at the level that you wanted to compete at, yeah, it's okay. If you want to ride once or twice a week, that is awesome. But if you really, you wanted to be successful and you wanted to be able to move forward and to move forward, that's what it took. And by golly, you did it girl. And I'm, I'm so proud of you. Well, thank you for being the catalyst, Reese. I really appreciate your honesty with me and, um, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for that lesson. How about that? Uh, well, I mean, and I hope, I hope people take this too from, you know, if, if you have a hard lesson and your coach is really trying to coach you, sometimes it does take that. And, and to just have that moment of clarity of, of, or that light bulb moment of, okay, this is what I need to do to move forward. And, and girl, congratulations, big hug, all the things. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. And I can't, I mean, I, I watch your Facebook. I'm the first one to love it and, and like it and, <laughs> and tell you how proud I am of you and, and great job. And, uh, we can't, we can't wish you more of a, of a better journey, uh, you know, or continued success and, and huge success on your journey forward. And uh, thanks so much, Liz, for coming on the show. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. So Phil, this week, I definitely love my stability stirrup leathers. I needed them. <laughs> what was it? What was going on? And my big extended trot for five judges. I needed them. <laughs> they were, they were, they were holding holding you down or holding your leg on quietly. <laughs> they I'll take anything I can I can get. <laughs> but in 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 that Grand Prix special with a lot of transitions, you need a quiet leg. So I was really thankful for my stability stirrup leathers from Total Saddle Fit. Actually, um I love those. We all have them here in the barn. Um, I think they make a big difference for everybody and, uh, always very thankful to have, have anything that kind of enhances riding and quieter legs. So, uh, I've been working Make, really hard in my job, position. making the job look easy, even when it's not right. That's, exactly. that's the whole point of, of all of it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that um, anything you can do to help yourself, and the great thing about this product is it's it's a very reasonably priced product. Um, and actually, you really do need to check your stirrup leathers anyways fairly often to make sure you have the right, that there's nothing going on with them. And um, so I, uh, I was very thankful for them and all the products at Total Saddle Fit. Uh, Justin does a great job there. So check out totalsaddlefit.com and the Stability Stirrup Leathers. We promise you, you'll be very thankful for them. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com.
Yeah. So we, for our tip, yeah, we uh, actually have taken something. Um, I guess it comes through dressage for kids. So this was a little idea published in Noel Floyd um, by Annette Paterakis. Hopefully, I got the name right. Uh, one, we want to give credit where credits due. But uh, mm-hmm. what what do we got here, Reese? So, Phil, these are tips for being a resilient rider, and. I love these because, you know, as, as it right now, um, you know, when you're competing, which, you know, right now we're, we're heavy into our kind of show season right now, sometimes you need to be resilient, right? It, sometimes you maybe don't have the best ride or you need to come back the next day, or sometimes just coming back the next day on a normal day is hard. Um, so writing, writing is hard. And, and anybody who says, um, that it's easy, you know, <laughs> well, Maybe I think we- it's, I mean, it's, it's tough riding, but it's also kind of tough putting yourself out there. And, you know, right. you know, when I think about what you were up to and I was, wa- you know, I was watching the live stream. So, I mean, don't get in your head too much about it, but it's just like, even when there isn't a crowd there, there, there's a crowd now in, in this, yes. uh, in this, um, digital world, you know? So yeah got to be able to block that out and you got to, you know, put your, that's not for everybody to be able to put themselves out there and, and get judged by five judges, not just one person who wants to critique you, but five of them from all angles. That's, <laughs> it's really hard, right? It's really hard. Well, even just competing, right? And sometimes even riding in a clinic or, you know, sometimes I know barns are busy and big and sometimes you have to ride there. I mean, this sport at some point, right? And, and I always say this, like people don't go out to think, well, today I'm going to ride badly, right? We all go out to train hard and we all really try to do our best. So, you know, there is some resilience that you need and some thick skin that you need. And sometimes, you know, you have friends that are there to, you know, Phil, I, I ask Phil all the, all the time, right? Like, how do I look? What am I doing? And sometimes he knows when to say something. And then sometimes he's like, you know, good job. You know, you need that because it is hard. It's a hard deal. Yeah. So yeah. being resilient. Yeah. And you got to be able to do that to yourself, you know, like, right. uh, you know, not, not get down and, 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 and right. to just keep going back out there and just, you know, it's for the love of the horse and for the love of training the horse and for, you know, um, in the end, it has to be, it has to be, you know, from your passion. That's so right. let's, let's get to these tips, Reese. Yeah. So the first one is one, you aim to improve rather than prove yourself. I like that one because at the end of the day, everyone's going to look at their test and say, oh, I wish I could do this, or I wish this had been better. Very rarely, even if you talk to the top, top riders, will they say everything was perfect. So I think that that's important. One, you aim to improve rather than prove yourself. Two, yeah, you plan ahead. Mm-hmm. So I think you can only look in the mirror when you, you know when things go badly and you didn't have a plan or you didn't talk about your plan with your coach or or you know you you forgot braiding elastics or you know all any any kinds of these little things that are going to uh, end up stressing you out when you didn't have a plan and you didn't. You didn't uh, make lists, and and mm-hmm. uh, we, we've talked we've talked uh, a number of times on on what needs to happen and and uh, how to make a schedule and, and all these great things. So this is this is a good tip for for knowing what you did wrong and what what you did right is that you at least started with a good plan. 
Yeah, no, it's true. And, and I find a good plan always has a plan in it for something to go wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, you, you know, if your contingency horse is a, plan, plan, a, contingency plan, plan, yeah, B. And plan B, plan. A, like if your horse isn't a good loader, you shouldn't be running out of time to load your horse, you know, like you need to plan for that. You need to, if he's even had a hint of that or, or whatever it may be, um, you know, don't be hooking up your trailer at the time you're supposed to be leaving. <laughs> that won't work, you know? So yeah. I think making a plan, it also really hel- helps anxiety. Um, I, I tend to be, feel a laugh. I tend to be anxious actually, especially when it comes to showing. So I am, have, I Uber prepare, like I have everything laid out the night before. I, and, and that just is my personality. One of my very good assistants is the opposite. Like she's too, for me, like I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it in the morning. And then I find her to be too, she's rushing around and I'm like, you know, this should have been handled like, you know, a long time ago, <laughs> but it's also, it's a little bit her style and that's okay. It's different from my style. So, you know, everybody's style is a little bit different, but you know, I did, uh, you know, for that, I said, listen, you would not be so anxious if this had been done ahead of time or whatever. So make your plan, stick with it and give yourself some extra time. Cause we do deal with horses and things always happen. So, which, which brings us to our next point, Yes, our next one. flexible in your approach. So I like, I like what you said about, you know, plan a plan B, uh, you know, kind of, kind of idea, but I think this also deals with, you know, training approach. And mm-hmm. that um, you can't be super, super strict. Otherwise, it it, feel, it feels like everything is falling apart when, you know, a week before your show that um, your leg yield isn't going as great as, it, as you think it should be. Or, you know, sometimes you have to kind of redo your plan a little bit and, and, and to be flexible in how you're training or, or how you're practicing. Because I find a lot of riders are just, you know, drilling the tests a, a lot which can be good, but it can also be a little bit of uh, a negative. So, you know, take ideas from your coach, talk about it. You know, when things are going well, it doesn't mean you have to practice that extra time. You know, that's what I find with dressage riders. They they always want to just do it a little bit, you know, a little bit too much or over, overdo the practicing or, you know, so you have to be able to, uh, you know, take a little criticism and, and, and changed what you're doing to, to have success. Yeah. And, and the only other thing I will say is to me, when you enter a competition, right, you can tweak here and there, but you need to be very clear with what your test is. And I see this a lot. And sometimes we see it here in Florida where it's like, Oh, if I could just get that score, then I don't have to go to that horse show or whatever. And sometimes it's too early. Or, you know, you, you, you need more time. So remember that, you know, you should be very, very good. Once you get to a competition, you shouldn't be learning how to do something the week before. Uh, it doesn't work well. Um, you need to be planning from your competition so that when you go to that competition, you don't feel like you have to practice things one million times. Because it may be hot, for example, you may get one rep and have to go in, you know, and, and that's just how that works. But you've got to feel really good on your training that, that, that you've trained this, you know how to do it. And, um, that again, I, I'm not a huge, the week of the horse show working the heck out of the horses, you know, at that point, in my opinion, you're, 
you're done. You've already trained. And if yeah. it's not going to work, it is, it is what it is. It right? is what it, it is. is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They need to be loose and fresh and happy. And you shouldn't, you know, I look out sometimes at a competition and see people just drilling the horses. And I think that's, that, that's not my style. So, yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. What's number four, Phil? You accept the process. So yeah. horse training, horse riding, um, you know, it's a sport. You have to, you have to accept where you're at. I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to be a 70 percenter to be going out to a horse show. You have to, the, the process is developing goals, uh, achieving the goals and then, and then moving on or reassessing. So that's part of the process is reassessing and change, changing what, what, what you need to do for the training in between competitions, you know, that's the same for everybody. It's not, you know, if it doesn't go well, then you, you have to be able to say, you know, with, with your coach again, just what do I need to be doing? That's, I mean, and if it is, if it is successful, you say, how do I stay on the right track? I mean, it's all a process of, of, um, getting to what, what your goals want to be. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, and I saw that this week here at the CDI, there are Olympic riders that make mistakes and that, you know, forget their tests. And I think you, you build it up in your mind that, you know, these riders are unbelievable and they never make mistakes and yeah, they do. <laughs> and, and it's part of, or they're, they're showing a younger horse, right. That, that is difficult. So there's a process for everybody and people make mistakes. You're not always going to be perfect. Maybe we see the perfect at the Olympics, but there's been a lot of steps taken to get to that point. So there is a process and, and you've got to know that, you know, there <laughs> you're going to make mistakes and uh, you can't let that just drag you down. All right, right. Number five. Yeah, yeah, here you go. You see failure as feedback. So I think this, you know, ties right into what we were just talking about is that, you know, you're going to make mistakes. M- mistakes are part of becoming successful. You you can't you can't get anywhere you can't achieve your goals if if you don't fail along the way you know that's how you know you're you're working on it and 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 it's a good thing you know it, mm-hmm. I just I just I like to tell people well you know you went the wrong way or whatever you know there's be a million problems but at least you <laughs> made that mistake and got it out of the way now yeah we you won't do it on. again <laughs> yeah now now we can move on you know. So, yep. you know, make, make every mistake that you can make, just don't keep making the same one. Right. <laughs> That's right. Then, then, and I like, you know, not, not knowing what not to do is also part of becoming, you know, good at test riding, good at showing and, and good at, good at training, you know, it's just yeah. as useful as knowing what to do is, is, is knowing what, what not to do. Yep. And you got to take it and say, okay, uh, you know, that, that, that happened leave it, move forward and and go on with what you were doing. And let me tell you, everybody who's been out there has made those mistakes. You know, in in my case, I'm stepping up to, to, to a different, a completely different level. And a lot of these riders have ridden more Grand Prix in their lifetime than I have ever, you know, that I've ridden tests, but they've also made mistakes along the way. And you have to know that, you know, some of this is just doing it. And in that sometimes it hurts a little, <laughs> but you know, to get to that place, they've also made those mistakes and that, that could be for anybody at any level. So number six, you have to let go of negativity. Yep. So 
I think that's well, it's kind of self-explanatory. But I mean, any you know, these negative feelings, these negative thoughts are not going to help you. Uh, there, the, there's no point in 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 dwelling on on a mistake that happened or or how you feel about a bad show or just just keep your head up and surround yourself with positive people and 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 carry on. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, I think surround yourself by positive people. Hard stop. <laughs> you know, that's it. You know, if you're around people that aren't positive and aren't on your team and and you know, I mean, uh, you know, Phil and my relationship, Phil can say, "Oh man, you th- look at that. That wasn't good, but this was good." You know, it doesn't hurt my feelings when he says that. Um, it just makes me ride a better setter line, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I mean, cause I know he's saying it. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't say it if it's not from a place of, you know, essentially love and encouragement, and, and encouragement yeah, I mean, just, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not saying anything negative. Encourage each other. And, and, uh, you know, Reese can tell me that F off or, or whatever. I'm not going to take <laughs> that in a bad way. It's just, yeah. Or like, you know, not the time. Yeah. But yeah. I think when you're around people that know you really well, they sort of know, especially during that time, right? When you're literally in the heat of the competition or you're at a competition, that's not the place you need someone to be negative, right? You need someone to literally, I mean, be real with you, but be positive and, and, and give you that feeling that like we're surrounding you and we're here to be your support team and we want to help you. And let me tell you, when you have that team around you, I, I have, you know, a great team. My team's fairly small, especially at that moment in time. I don't listen to a lot of people. I don't want to listen to a lot of people because I don't, I know my team and I know they know me and that's really important to me. And so I very much lean on you guys. Um, but the outside, the outside stuff, I, I don't even listen to it because there's no point. And, and, you know, I, I, I enjoy and love riding my horses and, um, and, and if people are not that way I don't surround myself with them. So I think that's really important for all of us to, to remember that this is a sport. I always say this is a sport. We're not curing cancer. We're having a good time and that's important. So yeah, I love it. And what's the last that, one, Phil? That last one is that you, you always you always find a way to get back up again. And, you know, sometimes, um, I know in, in the past I I've had to, you know, have a bad show or something like that, feeling really negative. Then, then I, you know, I step away for a bit, you know, get a, get a refresh, um, you know, talk to my coach, like, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do next? Because it's not about the now it's like, how are you going to move forward? And, and you have to move forward, right? So, so you know, don't don't dwell on something that went wrong. Just just talk to your people, figure out what you're gonna do, what you're gonna do next, and and that's and then that's how it, how it goes. That's the highs and lows and the roller coaster of, of yeah. training dressage. And and I think I think there's really good. Um, and Lauren Spreiser, who's come on the show quite a bit, we should have her come on and talk about this. But she has a chart that she it was it was posted online, and it was basically you get like an hour to to feel bad about something, and then you got to leave it alone and you got to move forward. And I yeah. think you have an hour to you know I think I think a CDI was an hour. That was like the max amount of time. And the national <laughs> show it was like 20 minutes. You know it was like go, you know have a beer, whatever you need to do. You have one hour and you leave yeah, it alone. Have, have and a good you move cry. Forward. You know, yep, this, whatever this, you need. the sport is filled with tears. Have a yeah. good cry, you know, and then 
That's it. I like that. That's it. Move forward. Talk to your coach, talk to your people, get your chin up and go back and do it again. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think Phil and I, I mean, this is, this is our job and our career and it doesn't always go well. And boy, do we celebrate when it does. Uh, but there are times where it doesn't and, and that's okay. And then you kind of got to shake it off, get back up there, get back on that horse or whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, it's not always perfect and, and nobody, I don't, I don't know anybody in the sport where it's always perfect. So, uh, when it's good, you celebrate when it's bad. You take it on the chin a little, shake it off and, and, and move forward. And, um, but yeah, it's a great sport. We hope these helped, uh, is, is if you're, you need to have a, be resilient. Um, but we wanted to, uh, just give everybody a shout out, especially remember that we have a great book that kind of ties into this topic, how two minds meet the mental dynamics of dressage by Beth Baumert. You can find it on horseandriderbooks.com. I'm reading it right now. Very helpful uh, down here uh, in, in Florida, but, um, but also with show season. So uh, we hope you you in, pick it up and start reading it with us. And as always, we love email and Facebook shout outs. Keep them coming. Uh, and we have a couple more questions in the queue and we will get to them as soon as we can. As always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. The best way to find me is probably on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's ProStride, Kentucky Performance Products, Eco Gold, and Total Saddle Fit. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down, your shoulders back, and we can't wait to talk to you next week.